At first, it was just one sheep per day. But as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more. Until, until one day a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Y'all, please be seated and good morning. Good morning. December 16, 1773. December 16, 1773 was a bombshell day, a bombshell day in the history of U.S. politics because on that day, there was a group of honorary, revolutionary-minded patriots who called themselves the Sons of Liberty. Now, the Sons of Liberty, they must have gotten up, woken up on the wrong side of the bed that morning because on that day, they decided to take out their frustrations on the English King George. They were sick and tired of taxes. They were sick and tired of the taxes that they were being forced to pay to the English king. And so on that day, they basically performed an act of domestic terrorism. They climbed aboard a freight ship owned by the East India Tea Company and they destroyed its cargo. They boarded the ship and dumped every single chest full of imported tea into the Boston Harbor, thereby destroying a small fortune of precious cargo in the process. And as many of you know, this event would gradually escalate into the dramatic conflict that today we call the American Revolution. But friends, the Boston Tea Party is actually not the act of revolution on my mind this morning. Because you see, the Boston Tea Party was not the first act of revolution ever to take place in the history of the world. In fact, it wasn't even the first act of revolution to take place over the issues of taxes and taxation. In fact, if you rewind the, the timeline of world history, go back to about the year 5 AD, 5 AD, there was another revolutionary act that took place. This time, it was not the Massachusetts Bay Colony. It was the country of ancient Israel. This time, it was not instigated by the Sons of Liberty. Rather, it was instigated by a revolutionary figure, a revolutionary bombshell named Judas the Galilean. I want you to remember that name, Judas the Galilean. And taxation, the, 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 the specific taxation at issue was not that of the English king. The tax at issue was something called the head tax. The head tax issued by the Caesar, the king of the Roman Empire. The head tax 
was the way that the Romans lorded it over the Jewish people. It was their way of saying, you low-life Jews, you're basically our slaves, and we're going to make you pay this head tax for the honor and the privilege of having us as your superiors, of having us as your masters. And so you see, for Judas the Galilean, this was beyond offensive. And so Judas did what any revolutionary would do. He revolted, he raised up an armed militia, and he instigated a resistance movement. And in particular, there's three specific things that Judas the Maccabean, uh, Judas the Galilean did. And if you want to understand this story in, Genesis, uh, in Matthew 22, this story about Jesus and the taxes, if you want to understand that this morning, you need to understand these three specific things that Judas the Galilean did. First, with an armed guard, he cleansed the temple. Secondly, he preached and proclaimed the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, he called on the Jews not to pay their taxes. So again, what did Judas the Galilean do? Three very important things. Cleansing the temple, kingdom of God, no head tax. Guess what happened to Judas? He was hunted down by the Roman authorities, imprisoned, and executed. Now, fast forward the timeline about 25 years to roughly the year 30 CE, 30 AD, to today's gospel story in Matthew 22. And do you realize what's happening? First, just a few verses before our story this morning, Jesus has just cleansed the temple. Secondly, Jesus has built his entire ministry on preaching the kingdom of God. That was the cornerstone of his teaching. Cleansing the temple, check. Preaching the kingdom of God, check. And so here we are in today's passage, and the people are coming up to Jesus, and do you understand what they're asking him? They're looking at Jesus, and they're like, uh, Jesus, we remember that whole Judas the Galilean thing 25 years ago how he cleansed the temple, preached the kingdom of God, and told us not to pay the tax. Now, Jesus, you remind us a lot of him. You're doing the same things. We've seen a pattern here. Like him, you cleanse the temple. Like him, you preach the kingdom of God. Jesus, it's time to fess up. Time to put your cards out on the table. Tell us, should we pay the tax? Now, the text says that the religious leaders who interrogated Jesus, they were trying to entrap him. What does that mean? It means that they were trying to back him up into a corner. They were trying to uh, get him into a tight spot. They were trying to catch him in a trap. Think about this with me. They were asking Jesus, should we pay the tax, right? If Jesus says, no, don't pay the tax, what's going to happen? He's going to be imprisoned and executed, just like Judas the Galilean. But what if he says, yes, go ahead and do pay the tax? What's going to happen then? In that case, he's going to lose the people. The people are going to walk away. They're going to be like, this guy's a big phony. All this revolutionary talk about the kingdom of God and the cleansing of the temple, but he's not willing to put his money where his mouth is. He's just been blowing smoke. He's not willing publicly to oppose Caesar. And the people will walk away. 
because they'll think that he's all talk, just blowing smoke. Do you get it? These religious leaders, they are trying to entrap Jesus. If he says, yes, pay the tax, he'll lose the people. But if he says, no, don't pay the tax, he'll lose his head. And therefore, he won't be able to finish his ministry. Quite the dilemma, do you agree? So what's Jesus' answer? How does he respond? Well, first, let's consider how he doesn't respond. Does he say, yes, pay the tax? No, he doesn't. Does he say, no, don't pay the tax? No, he doesn't. Hmm, Jesus is so interesting. Not only does he refuse to answer their question, he refuses to take their bait. What is going on here? I'll tell you what I think it is. I think that Jesus is one-upping Judas the Galilean. He's one-upping political revolutionaries and all political revolutions. As revolutionary as Judas's bombshell was, Jesus's bombshell is on a whole nother level. When Jesus holds up that coin, when he holds up that coin and points at, points to the image on that coin, Jesus is pointing to a revolution far deeper than that of Judas the Galilean. Because you see, as cool as political revolutions are, and we could make a list of political revolutions, couldn't we? The American Revolution, the Arab Spring, uh, Tiananmen Square, on and on and on. As cool as those are, as good and as important as those are, there is another revolution that is even better. As interesting and important as political revolutions are, there's a whole nother kind, a whole different level of revolution that is far better, and you know what it is. It's not a revolution of politics. It's a revolution of the heart. See, here in Matthew 22, the Pharisees are interrogating Jesus about politics, about money, about policy, but Jesus redirects the focus. He redirects the focus to the heart. In this story, Jesus takes out a quarter. Actually, it's a denarius. He holds it up and he says, whose image is on this coin? Answer, Caesar's. See, Caesar's picture was literally on the coin, just like George Washington's picture is literally on this quarter. Go ahead and give the coin to Caesar. It belongs to him anyway. But enough about coins, Jesus says. Let's talk about another image. Let's talk about the image not of Caesar, but the image of God. We know where to spot the image of Caesar. It's on the coin. But where can we spot the image of God? We know what bears the stamp of Caesar, Jesus says, but what bears the stamp of the living God? And the answer? You do. You, do you see how deep this revolution is? What is the answer? You do, Jesus says. There's no doubt that Jesus was thinking about Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our own image. And then in verse 28, two verses later, then God made humankind in his own image and 
likeness. Where is God's image to be found? What thing bears God's image? A coin, a totem pole, an NFT? No. You do, Jesus says. You do. He does. Little Daniel, you do. The human being is my image, Jesus says. You. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give yourself to God. Give yourself to God, Jesus says. And for the rest of our time together this morning, I want to focus with you on those three little words, give yourself to God. Oh, oops, I guess that's four words. Give yourself to God. Sure, Jesus says, give the head tax to Caesar, but don't you dare give yourself to Caesar. Give yourself not to Caesar. Do not give yourself to Caesar. Do not give yourself to sex. Do not give yourself to career. Do not give yourself to politics. Do not give yourself to your health. Don't give yourself to anything but God, Jesus is saying. Now, friends, in order for that to make sense to us, in order for that to be compelling to us, I think that we need to acknowledge something. We need to admit that each one of us in practice, each one of us actually, we do give ourselves to something. For some, it's their work. Others give themselves to their savings or their net worth. Addicts and alcoholics give themselves, they give their heart to their drug of choice. But make no mistake, we all give ourselves, we all give our heart to something. The question is not, will you or won't you give yourself to something? No, the only question is, what will you give yourself to? What will I give myself to? Jesus says, don't give yourself to Caesar or the state or your career or your stock portfolio. Instead, give yourself to God. And therefore, my friends, there's only one last question this morning. The question is why? Why? Why does Jesus tell us not to give ourselves to anything in this world, but instead to give our hearts, to give ourselves to God? Why? There's only one reason. And I think that this one reason cuts to the very heart of the Christian faith. This one reason is the reason why you actually do need, and it's a very good thing that you are here in church this morning. Why? Only one reason. God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be happy. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us, God wants us to be full of peace. God wants us to be free. Jesus knows that when you give yourselves to your career, when you make that your everything, your pearl of great price, your reason for getting out of bed in the morning, it ends up enslaving you. Jesus knows that when you give yourself to your net worth, when that becomes your pearl of great price, your reason for getting out of bed in the morning, it ends up enslaving us. And it's the same with health, the same with reputation, the same with worldly possessions, the same even with spouse and children. There's only one Lord, Jesus is telling us this morning in Matthew 22, only one Lord, 
Only one pearl of great price. Only one master who, when you serve him, not only will you not be enslaved, but this master will set you free. So give your heart to God. By the way, you can do that in a few minutes here at the altar rail. You can do it for the first time. You can do it for the 10,000th time. See, Episcopalians, we do have an altar call. This is the deepest revolution of all. But one more thing. Remember the fate of Judas the Galilean? Earlier I said that he was hunted down, imprisoned, and executed, right? Hmm. But hold up. Wait, wait one sec. Isn't that the very same thing that happened to Jesus? Wasn't he also in just the same way hunted down, imprisoned, and executed? Ah, oh, yes. But for him, it was not the end because he was raised. He was resurrected. His movement continues to this day. And this shows us that Jesus' revolution was deeper and far more important than that of Judas. After all, political revolutions can grant freedom from oppression, but a revolution of the heart, that grants freedom from death. Now that is a bombshell. That is the ultimate revolution. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.